through the service and just like to invite us all to just prepare ourselves to worship God. Um, thank you for everybody who's joining us online. We welcome you to join us. Um, we're going to start this morning just in prayer and inviting God. We have sort of this the statement that we say, you know, come, Lord Jesus, come. And we just want to say that again. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this opportunity where we have the freedom to come worship you. Lord, this is a gift that you've given us in this country that not everybody else shares around the world. And we just want to say thank you. Thank you because after this week, after everything, Lord, we can just come and rest in your presence. We ask that you would minister to our hearts, to our minds, to our souls, that you would allow us to be filled today so that when we go out and we depart from this place, that we may love others as you have loved us. Thank you, Heavenly Father. We just ask that you would minister through song and that you'd be with all the speakers today. In Jesus' name, amen. down. 
Good morning, church. And we prepare ourselves now for communion. I would like to remind you of some, something that is found in Isaiah. It's chapter 53, verses 3 to 6. As we prepare ourselves now in our own hearts and our own minds to come before the Lord to celebrate the bread and the cup. Let us go here. Verse 3 says, He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses that he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole, and he was whipped so that we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. In David's, in Psalms 19, verses 12 to 14, he declared, People cannot see their own mistakes, so don't let me commit secret sins. Don't let me do what I know is wrong. Don't let sin control me. If you help me, I can be pure and free from my sin. May my words and thoughts please you. Lord, you are my rock, the one who rescues me. Jesus had not yet come yet, and yet David is calling for this. He's calling out to God the Father for this redemption. But then we find Jesus, 1 Peter Chapter 2, 23-25, it says, He never sinned nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He held his case in the hands of God. He left his case in the hands of God. He left them in the hands of God who always judges fairly, and he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. And by his wounds you are healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of our souls. Jesus, the shepherd, the guardian of our souls. Luke 22, 
verse 14 to 20. When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And then he took a cup of wine and he gave thanks. He gave thanks to God for it. And then he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. And he took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. And then he broke it in pieces and he gave it to the disciples saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and he said, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Father, we just thank you so much for bringing us into a place of forgiveness, a place, Father God, where we could have our hope restored, where, Father God, we could receive the Holy Spirit in a way that we would have overcome the sin of our life and to listen to the Lord for our direction and for the way that we should be, who we should be, how we should be. If you would join with me now as we take this bread. And we drink of this cup in remembrance of his blood poured out for our sins. Father, we just thank you for being with us. We thank you, Father God, that this is not just a ritual, but Lord God, this is an actual act of us coming to you and recognizing the power that you've brought back into our lives, the redemption that you've given to us, the hope that you are to all of us. And we thank you for this meal that we share now at the body of Christ. In the name of Jesus, amen. Good morning again, Mission Vineyard Church, both those who are in the room here today and those who are at home uh, watching us online. We trust that uh, you're, you're sensing and aware of the Lord's presence, whether you're here or you're there. Thank you, worship team. Uh, my name is Herschel Rosser. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'd like to share some wonderful opportunities uh, for involvement in ministry in our church. For one thing, we have wonderful small groups, several small groups. Some meet in person, some meet online. And on the table in the back are some cards that uh, tell you how to find out about our small groups. And uh, if you would pick one up and follow the directions there, we would be happy to assist you in that. And then I also would like to uh, share that you can give online and uh, I'm, I'm not seeing the thing up there but uh, give at missionvineyard.org there it is give.missionvineyard.org or if you're here in person and you prefer to give cash or check we have a basket on this table back here and we have a basket on the greeting table there we also have what we call mana bags well we have um, bags there in the back that we give if you're our first time guest we hope you will take one of those and in there is something we call a manna bag and we they're not just for first time guests we hope that people in our church will continually pick one of those up and watch for people who are begging who are standing on street corners and such and um, it's an opportunity to minister to somebody in the name of Jesus so we hope that you will do that is there anything else for our church that I'm forgetting? That's it, I think. Uh, I will say this. 
Our lead pastor, John Arelli, will be back next Sunday. He won't be preaching, but he'll be here. And uh, he's coming in pretty late on the weekend. So Scott Hatch, the pastor of Thrive Vineyard in Austin, will be actually preaching next week. It is my great privilege to introduce Derek Blaylock. Derek and Amanda and their four children are the church planters in Live Oak. And very, very dear friends of ours. They were a part of this church, still are in our hearts, of course. <clears throat> we sent them out there. And God is doing some wonderful things there. And uh, let's see. Is that where you want Derek to stand to preach? Is that cool? You want, they want you to stand over here to preach, Derek. Okay. I'll move this back. Sorry. <laughs> Walking in here like I own the place. <laughs> uh, and Derek also has an announcement to make that he's going to share with us. But let's welcome Derek Blaylock, wonderful brother in the Lord. That's better. All right. Good morning. So before we get started, I have an announcement as well. Here in the vineyard, we have this um, distinctive way that we like to participate with the Holy Spirit and prayer ministry with other people. And we call that the Vineyard Five-Step Prayer Model. And it's something that we train and do. Um, so I apologize. I've been a little slow in getting this announcement over here. But we are on the, the second week of August. So that's August the 14th. We're going to be holding one of these prayer trainings. It'll last most of a Saturday. There will be kids care provided for your kiddos if you want to come. So don't let that stop you. We have tons of kids. They also learn how to pray the five-step prayer model. Uh, food and then teaching and prayer. And we're going to train you in the way that the vineyard participates with the Holy Spirit and ministering to other people. If you want to do that or you have even the slightest inkling that you may be interested, come find me after the service and I'll get you a little more information. And again, I apologize for not uh, getting that to you sooner. Is this good? All right. So we have been all together on this really incredible Exodus journey going through the wilderness. And it's not like the South Texas wilderness mesquite. This is like a desert. I mean, it's wilderness, right? And, and we've been with the Israelites, journeying with them on this journey of deliverance, not just from slavery out of Egypt, not just through the Red Sea, not just through their own delusionment in the desert, but in coming to know what God is really like and being delivered from false understandings and misunderstandings and bad pictures of God. And so today we're going to look at this episode. Um, today I'm supposed to talk about false idols. And we're going to look at the episode of the golden calf in Exodus up there. And, and this is also the, the point in the story where God gives the Ten Commandments. And he gets these wonderful uh, holy iPads engraved with God's Ten Commandments, right? And so we're going to look at that and see what's there. And see, the, the thing is, if you can't hardly trip over anywhere in the New Testament, you can't hardly read through it without tripping over some kind of discussion about false idols, right? Their idols is this big, looming meta-narrative uh, in the Old Testament. But what this is really addressing is this more basic question of what is God actually and really like? in his substance and being and character and nature. Idolatry is less about the specific behaviors and more about this guiding story that we carry with us, this core narrative that comes to us from whatever culture we happen to find ourselves in. It, it drives this creation of a value system out of which flow specific behaviors on our part. And see, false idols, no matter what form they take, whether it be a golden calf or a Ferrari or whatever, no matter how they manifest in our lives, they are always rooted in this basic misunderstanding of exactly what God is like. That funnel misunderstanding is what produces this bad fruit in our life. And see, one potential way to go about removing the problem of idols, once we realize that it's a problem, we know it's a problem, right? Is We, we, try, to, um, we try to gird up some moral strength, right? We're going to just, we're going to muscle up, and we're going to try really hard, we're going to get some moral courage, and I'm going to behave myself out of the situation that I'm in. And you know, 
some of you, actually, I think most of you, I'm looking in here, oh, you, you're, 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 very, uh, you're very conscientious people and you've got a lot of, got a lot of, got a gumption and you probably can get pretty far with doing that, right? Me, I, you know, I give it a couple weeks and then I kind of run out of steam and I'm back where I started. But either way, though, no matter how we, we try to go about addressing this issue, we haven't really just taken the axe to the root of the problem of the idols in our lives. Because the truth is, the truth about ourselves, is that we cannot behave our way out of the predicament we find ourselves in. We cannot behave our way out of the predicament of false idols in our life. We can only be loved out of them. The issue of false idols in our lives is not so much the way the behaviors manifest, but it's that they spring forth from a poor misunderstanding, a skewed portrait of God, not just intellectually in our mind, but down here in our, in our heart, in our knower. And so I actually today, I'm going to read a significant portion of this scripture passage from Exodus 32. But before I do, uh, as I was preparing this message, I felt like the Lord told me very strongly that there's either somebody here in person or online that um, you, you're, you're sitting under some condemnation at the moment. You, like, you've really actually been wanting to engage the scripture more and you've been feeling compelled to do that, but your life circumstances have been extremely difficult for you recently and, and you've been prevented from engaging with the scriptures like you want to. And so what I want you to hear from the Father, is this, this, that whoever you are, he sees and he perceives and he understands your circumstances. And he is very concerned about you. And he loves you very deeply. And he would have you hear that this time and this place is a place of invitation and hospitality for you, okay? That he sent me here to read this scripture passage. You haven't been able to do it because of the circumstances in your life, so we're going to read it with you today, this morning. And so I want to release you from condemnation right now, and then whoever you are, in the name of Jesus Christ, and invite you to just sit back. Hear from the Holy Spirit. Relax. Be refreshed in God's presence, okay? I want to invite you to receive all the goodness of Christ in your mind, will, and emotions right now in the name of Jesus, you're going to be okay, okay? All right, Exodus chapter 32, I'm, I'm going to be reading, and uh, we didn't do a bunch of screens, I have uh, my old beat up NIV, that stands for necessary in the vineyard, so I'm going to, I'm sorry, that's probably, I'm going to, I'm going to read uh, a significant portion of this scripture with you, okay? Exodus 32, and when the people saw Moses was so long and coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, come make us gods who will go before us. And as for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. And so Aaron answered them, take off your gold earrings and take your wives and your sons and all those golden things that your kids are wearing and bring them all to me. And so they took off all their earrings and brought them to Aaron. And he took what they handed him and made them an idol, cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. And then he said to the people, these are your gods, O Israel. The golden calf brought you up out of Egypt. And when Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early and they sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. And afterwards they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Then Moses is on the mountain with the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, go down, because your people whom you have brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. And then they bowed down and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. So Moses turned and went down the mountain with the two tablets of testimony in his hands. And when he approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned. 
and he threw the tablets on the ground, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. And then he took the calf that they had made, and he burned it in the fire and ground it into powder and scattered it in the water and made the Israelites drink it. This is one of my favorite parts here. So then he goes to Aaron. Aaron, I left you in charge. What's going on here? (laughs) This is my favorite part. Aaron says, do not be angry, my Lord. You know how prone to evil these people are. They said to me, make us gods that will go before us. And this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what happened to him. So I took what they gave me and all their jewelry, and they just brought it to me. You know, I don't know what happened. And then I threw it in the fire, and out popped this golden calf. <laughs> I love that. He's just like, you know, Moses, I don't know, I don't know what happened. You know, I just threw the fire, and out popped this thing. I just work here, man. You know, I don't know what's going on. He's just obfuscating a little bit, right? And so Moses saw the people were running wild and that Aaron had let them get out of control so that they become a laughing stock to their enemies. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of things going on here. One of my favorite, and I'll, I'll invoke his name today, John Aureliism, because uh, I learned a lot from him, is John has this saying, and you've probably heard him say it. He says, the thing is not the thing, Right? The golden calf that magically popped out of the fire, we don't know how that happened, it's not the thing, right? It's just an object representing something out of the heart that's going on. And in particular, we're going to look at a couple, the thing behind the thing here. And one of them is with Aaron, right? Aaron is the high priest of Israel. It is his job to guide the people into right worship and to show them what it means to be godly. But he also has this other deep-seated need and desire in his heart to be liked and to be well-perceived by the people to the point that he acquiesces, allowing them to stray into error and abandons his office as priest. And even though he was called to be priest and to provide guidance, he allows this idol of people-pleasing, right, to give way into producing this graven image of false worship. But the thing is, he's telling himself a bad story. The story he's telling himself about God is this, is that God is not a sufficient source of approval in his core identity. Aaron hasn't yet learned the delight of being obedient to our father in the face of peer pressure. And he does not yet perceive that his heavenly father is pleased with even the smallest steps of obedience in the right direction, irregardless of whether anybody's following him or not. It's because success doesn't look like having people like you all the time. Success looks like obedience to Jesus. And believe me, I can sympathize with Aaron. Anybody who's been in a position of leadership, pastors, this is a very real thing. If we're not careful and if we don't good news ourselves enough, in the image of Christ, it's very easy to stray and allow the people to tell you who you are and to dictate your actions. So I get it. I, I get it. I have a lot of sympathy. I can only imagine how hard it must be to lead an entire nation through the desert in the midst of some trying circumstances. But regardless, that golden calf pops out of the fire magically because Aaron is telling himself a bad story about the sufficiency of God's approval and love of life. And out of that comes idols. We also have on display, we're going to read here in just a minute, one of Moses' core idolatries here. Moses is actually driven by this false idol of mission over relationship and the need to succeed in mission, using influence and power to get people to behave a certain way. And he defaults to this because he does still not yet know the fullness of God's heart or that his true identity resides not in his performance on the mission, but rather in that he is loved way more for who he is than what he does and how successful he is in getting people to behave a certain way. 
And when his people, they don't perform to his expectations, and when they revert to some old habits, this false narrative about who God is begins to take prominence in his heart. And it works itself out and it manifests itself in some pretty terrible actions as we're about to read here. Our picture of God determines what godliness looks like. Right? And not just what is permissible, but what is even encouraged when it comes to living our lives. And Moses, see, having grown up in Egypt, inherited a narrative from the Egyptians of what God is supposed to be like and how God responds to people who don't worship him correctly. And as he begins to walk in relationship with God the Father, when he's learning to know God for who he is, he still carries with him some precepts and presuppositions. I mean, having just come through the Red Sea, he interprets those events through his dominant Egyptian narrative that's still holding sway. And he, he names God. He gives him this name, God Almighty. Almighty. That one word, Almighty, it carries a lot of meaning, doesn't it? When I say the name Almighty to you all, what, what conjures in your head? What first comes up in your heart and mind when you hear the word Almighty? You know, we live in military city, USA. I've been here for seven years. I grew up with family in the military. One of my earliest vacation memories is my uncle was in the Navy, and we got to go visit him, and he was stationed on a... We got to go out on a destroyer. Y'all have seen these big naval boats. They're impressive. Big cannon. Three of them, actually. And you could, like, shoot the shore further away than you can see. There's a lot of power in the U.S. military. And I believe that if I took a poll of all y'all here in the room and I say the word almighty, I bet in some way that word is shaped and informed probably by some pictures of the military that we live in. We just live here. It's easy to see. So when I think of Almighty, I'm thinking projection of power, the military might and force. Moses is carrying that around in his heart as well, what it means to be Almighty. And so at this juncture, Moses, in his idolatrous pursuit of successful mission of getting these people to behave in a certain way, and his own anger at the people not doing what is wants, and his own preconceived perceptions of God Almighty and what exactly that means, shaped more by the narrative of the Egyptians. And then he has this position of authority in the community. All that births out, this very real, very ugly fruit of murder and fratricide. And we're going to read on here. He says this, Moses saw that the people were running wild and that Aaron had let them get out of control and become a laughing stock to their enemies. You see how he was worried about what, what the enemies were thinking about him there? And so he stood at the entrance of the camp and said, Whoever is for the Lord, rally to me. And all the Levites rallied to Moses. And then he said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Each man strap a sword to his side. Go back and forth through the camp, one to each other, killing his brother and his friend and his neighbor. And the Levites did as Moses commanded. And that day, about 3,000 of the people died. You notice, not once in that narrative that I read you all, did the Lord God have a commandment and actually say to Moses, Strap on a sword and go kill your fellow people. The Lord's told him a number of things. The Lord told him, turn around, go down the mountain. They're misbehaving. Take these tablets with you. The Lord never told Moses, strap on a sword and go throughout the camp and murder all these people. Moses reared in Egypt was still so much of that guiding story and forming his values and this false image of what God is like, it, it worked itself out when he had a position of authority and power in some very ugly ways. He had a false idol. Bad perception of what God is like. And so it is with us. Our image of God always works itself out in our behaviors and actions. Always. And any false idols in our lives are always the result of a false image of God. And so the first step to really 
laying an axe to the root of the idolatry in our life is to reorient our picture of what God is actually like. And here's, I have some really, really good news. Here's the good news in all of this. We don't have to guess what God is exactly like. The good news of the gospel is this, that God is exactly like Jesus. God has always been exactly like Jesus. There has never been a time when God is not exactly like Jesus. And this great big Exodus story that we have been going through with all its ups and downs and poor decisions and even worse portrayals of God's character by his people is the story of the nation of Israel coming to know God as he is revealed in Jesus Christ. The greatest truth that the world has ever heard is that God is exactly like Jesus God is completely Christ-like, and in him is no unchristlikeness at all. God is completely Christ-like, and in him is no unchristlikeness at all. See, in John 14, towards the end of his ministry, his disciples are still struggling with many of these same things. And they want Jesus to come and bring the sword against Rome and go through the land and conquer and, and free them from oppression. And they're having a discussion in, in John 14, verse 8. Lord, said Philip, show us the Father and that's enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been among you all this time and you do not yet know me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am the Father and he is in me and that the words I speak are not my own? The Father lives in me and does his works. Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And this is really good news because now over and against all the other competing narratives of what God is like, we have Jesus. And Jesus is this picture. We see this picture of God who has come to call the sick people to wellness, right? This picture of God who's not so angry that he can't deign to be in our presence, but it's the one who comes and dines with tax collectors and the so-called sinners. The one who in gentleness and kindness and humility draws near and dines with people that everybody else would reject as not being good enough for God. This is the God who Jesus tells us is like the shepherd who leaves the 99 sheep to go in search of the one, and when he finds him, he bears him up in his arms and carries him back to the fold and invites his friends over to rejoice greatly. This is the father of the prodigal son desperately searching on the horizon, waiting for his son to return, and when he does, he welcomes him back with a party, his wayward children. Jesus is that picture of God. And when that picture of God is fully enthroned on our hearts in its proper place, it has the power to drive out all the other false idols and false narratives in our lives. One more scripture. It's Hebrews chapter 1. I love this passage. It's one of my favorite passages in the New Testament. And Hebrews is this book of this, this author. He's taking, and he's taking all these events that we've been reading and the other ones in, in Israel's history and he's explaining how Jesus is the fulfillment of all the promises and all the laws and all the prophets. And he opens his book right out of the gate. Very first couple of verses here. I'm going to read it to you. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed as heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. Here we go. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he made purification for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of almighty the majesty in heaven. And so he's become superior to the angels 
and that he has inherited a superior name to them. Jesus Christ is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. That word exact representation in the Greek, which we translate our Bibles from, is character. The word character. It's where we get our word character from. It's, it's this stamping. It's an engraving of an image, like on a coin or a dollar bill. If you want to see what God, writ large, stamped into humanity looks like, that's Jesus. It's my, one of my favorite verses. It's enough to make people glad. That God is not like maybe I've always pictured him to be, but the exact representation, the distinguishing mark of godliness is Jesus Christ. I got more good news for you, though. But wait, there's more, right? The second aspect of the good news is this. You can actually get off the treadmill of self-improvement and self-sufficiency and moral muscle when it comes to getting rid of idols in your life. You know, they always have that little safety card right there. Just go ahead and yank it out with me. Stop. You don't actually just have to trust God and try harder to get these idols out of your life. You don't need, nobody in here needs yet another self-improvement plan. That's what we get all day long from everybody, right? What you actually need is to hear the voice of God. You need to hear the good news of Jesus and the voice of Jesus himself. John 10, 27 says this, My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. And so, friends, the first act of toppling idols is to make space to hear the voice of Jesus and then respond in humility to the good news that he is good newsing you with. Right? You can get out of this self-improvement failure loop, and it starts not with doing something, but rather with receiving something, receiving the word of God to you about your specific situation and how the good news of the gospel and the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus has made provision for your situation. So if at any point in your life, a false idol is made obvious to you, or you find yourself carried along into life circumstances as a result of your poor decisions, or if you find something else controlling your life story and you don't like it, or when the Holy Spirit points out something to you, stop. Yank the, yank the treadmill cord out and receive from Jesus the good news about your circumstance. And then when you've done that, you have a chance to repent. Repent is not a scary word. It's metanoia. It just means change your mind. Change your mind about the guiding narrative. Change your mind about the story you're telling yourself. And ask for most mercy from the Holy Spirit to reveal to you the lie that you're believing. That's at the root of this false idol. And receive whatever good news you need to hear about your identity or about God's character and nature as revealed in the Son or whatever lie that's currently holding sway in the court of your heart. And my friends, is when you will find the idols in your life toppling, one by one by one. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So today, I want to invite you in this last few minutes of worship together to not do anything. I want to invite you to receive. Receive the good news. Receive the words of worship into your heart. If God's been working with you about some kind of false narrative in your life, come over here and get some prayer. We'll have a prayer team over here. If you're the person who's been beat up and feeling condemned because you haven't been able to read your Bible as much as you want to, we release you from that in the name of Jesus Christ. If you're here today, come get some prayer. If you're online, drop it in the prayer box, send an email. Let us pray with you. Let the Lord's goodness transform your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Amen? Okay. That meets before church and they hear from the Lord special words about needs that will be present in our people in our church service. And here are the words this morning. The word diabetes. For someone with a heavy spirit, God has a garment of praise for you. Don't hold back. God has a place for you to minister to him and others. 
God knows you and values you to him. There are no lemons, no lemon laws in the kingdom of God. So our prayer teams are going to be over here, and we invite you to come for prayer for any of these words that speak to you or for any other purpose. Now, I'm on one of the prayer teams, so I'm going to be going over there. And in a few minutes, uh, Derek will come back and speak a blessing over you. And uh, uh, I just want to thank Derek. I'm not sure where he is. There he is. I just want to thank Derek uh, for bringing that word that really spoke to my heart. I want to get, I want to, I want to see Jesus and get freed from my idols. I want to hear Jesus and get freed from my idols. So uh, God bless you. Go ahead and worship or come for prayer.
as I was playing this and practicing yesterday, I just want us to be thankful. We know we have his mercy. We know we have his grace. We know we have his forgiveness. So if you join me, let's thank him for our mercy. I say, thank you for your mercy, Christ. Thank you for your mercy, Lord. Thank you for your mercy on us, on us. Thank you for your mercy, Christ. Thank you for your mercy, Lord. Thank you for your mercy on us, on us. We know that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins when we ask and confess. So if you would join me. your faithfulness I will rest in your promises my confidence Father, we thank you. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and that in him are all the promises and all the yes and all the amens. And today, I want to release you in the peace of Jesus Christ and in your hearts to receive Jesus Christ as Lord. Go forth in this place in the love of our Father as revealed in Jesus Christ. Amen.